Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you all this Sunday morning. Our scripture passage this morning is Psalm 128. We're jumping in a little later in the Psalms. This is one of the the more latter Psalms. And, And if you've read through the Psalms several times, you'll know that as you get to the end, there's this section of Psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. Now, you'll notice that maybe right at the top of your your text this morning, a psalm of ascent. Now, what that means is these psalms, about 15 psalms, and this is right in the middle of those, were psalms used by God's people as they went on their pilgrimage, so to speak, to Jerusalem. When they went for the Passover, when they went for various feasts, these are psalms that they would use on the way. They would say them, they would sing them together, both as they they came towards Jerusalem and then towards the temple. If you know the topography of the area, you're sort of going up to those things, both to Jerusalem and to the temple. And so they ascended, and as they ascended, they sang these songs. Now, how do these songs fit in our life? Well, the church very quickly realized that these songs are not simply about an earthly physical journey towards Jerusalem as they were used in this time, but they speak to really our whole Christian life. How do we live faithfully? How as we are on our own pilgrim journey towards the heavenly new Jerusalem, how do we live faithfully? And just before the Psalm 128 this morning, there have been a few Psalms that have dealt with some discouragement. Moments where things have not been going as people might have hoped. Psalm 126, verse 4 says this, Restore our fortunes, O Lord. There's a desire that God would restore, bring back the benefits that they have experienced. And now as we get to Psalm 128, we get to see God restoring some of that. We see some blessing, some joy, some some happiness. As these people are nearing Jerusalem, their pace may have quickened as they, they sang these words, words of blessing, words of hope. And so would you stand this morning for the reading of God's word, taken from Psalm 128. A song of ascents. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Lord, we ask that they would give us hope this morning, that they would show us what is true, what is real, what is good in this world. Lord, would you cause us to grow in a fear of you, a fear of you that leads us to walk in your ways and to enjoy the blessed life that you have offered us here in your word. Lord, would you bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've talked with some of you this year, and you've been ambitious and gone on road trips. Even some of you with young children have sort of braved this. It's sort of, I think, a rite of passage. You have to, at some point, go on a long road trip as a family. And you know very quickly, you, you, you maybe had joy as you were planning this trip. You planned all your road trip snacks, your road trip entertainment. And, and then you get about an hour into the road trip, right? And somebody looks at the GPS and says, is that, is that right? Are, are, are we only that far from however many hours we, we have to go, right? Road trips can be pretty grueling on us, um, even as, as parents. Now, 
if you've, if you've read a little bit about road trips, I don't know if you've done this, but there's this genre of literature about the great American road trip. It sort of captured people's imagination that, that they go on this, this trip across America and they discover themselves or they discover the truth about America. And there's all sorts of books written about this. And there's a theme through all of these books, and it's sort of what we see in this, this passage, that as people start talking about a physical road trip, they very quickly start talking about sort of the, the journey we have in life. And they become sort of synonymous with one another. And that's what we see in this, this passage here. This journey up to Jerusalem is really synonymous with all of, our, all of our life, all of the hardship, all of the difficult moments that we experience. And what we see here in this text is that these people are actually talking about being blessed, actually talking about being happy, which sometimes feels not like the, the world that we actually live in. One of my favorite books on sort of the American road trip is called Travels with Charlie by John Steinbeck. If you've read the book, John Steinbeck travels across in sort of a pickup truck with his poodle, Charlie, and he just sort of comments on things as he goes. And one line has always stood out to me, and he says this, a sad soul can kill you quicker, far quicker than a germ. A sad soul can kill you quicker, far quicker than a germ. What we've seen just before this in the Psalms is that God's people are sort of struggling. They have sort of a, a sad soul. They're wondering where in this life can we find joy? Where can we find some blessedness? Where can we find some, some happiness? And maybe that's a question you have this morning as you think about your next decades that God will give you on this, this earth. And you say, how am I going to find joy? How am I going to find happiness and blessing? What does it actually look like to live this, this way? And so that's what we'll, we'll look at through this passage this morning. And there, there is a way forward for us on our, our pilgrim journey. We see in verse 1, the blessing begins. Look with me at verse 1. It says this statement that we see elsewhere in Scripture as well. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. It's very simple verse. We, we read it, and we may say, that's, that's wonderful, that's beautiful, that's true. How do we begin to live this way? To live as those, everyone who does this, who fears the Lord, is, is blessed. We see a, a direction here, this, this blessing that we are moving towards, and everyone who fears, walks in the ways, moves towards this, this blessing. You need to ask a few questions to understand this. First, what does it mean to be blessed? What, is it, what does it mean to be blessed? It's one of those church words, right, we use often. We say, I'm very blessed. And, but what does that actually mean to be, to be blessed? The, the Hebrew word here for blessed is the same word used for, for happiness, for joy. It's not talking about sort of just sometimes when we think about happiness, this is sort of our, our definition of being happy. If I can accumulate enough fun experiences, if I can kind of get those piled up on top of each other, then I'll be happy. I do the right sort of things, the right activities with right people, and I do, do them frequently enough, then I'm going to be happy. But what we see here is we look throughout Scripture at this word blessed and this sense of happiness. We see that this is a genuine, a, a real happiness, an eternal joy that kind of is from our, our very core. It's a position of favor from God towards His people. That's what it means to be blessed. God sort of shining His face on us gives us happiness, not in our circumstances, but in the very character of who God is. And so this blessedness begins there. And it's for, for everyone who does what? 
Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Another one of these words we hear a lot, right? We read about it in Proverbs this morning that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. This is something that we may be familiar with, but what does it mean to, to fear God? There are two types of fear of God that we see in Scripture. One is a um, you can call it maybe a, a sinful fear. It's a position of someone who is a sinner, sees the holiness of God, and shrinks back from that, runs from God in fear. It's not the fear that is described here. What we see here is what we can call a, a right fear or a sanctified fear. It's someone who knows who God is, knows they're a sinner, knows that there is righteousness and atonement for their sins, but is still amazed at God, still very literally trembles before God in His holiness, in His righteousness, and yet comes towards Him with a degree of boldness. Sometimes people will try to use different words for this fear of God, maybe a reverence or an awe or an amazement. The language, though, in Scripture is, is fear, the sense of, of trembling before God and His, his holy, not holiness, not being afraid of God, not thinking that God is somehow going to, to zap you if you stand off this path for a moment, but realizing the fullness of his character, the wonder of the gospel, the wonder of his character, the enormity of his power and his might and his glory. That's the fear of God that is described here. And also, as we look through Scripture, there's this sense of fear that goes closely with the light. In fact, in Isaiah 11, Jesus, being prophesied about, is described as one who delights in the fear of the Lord. It's not a, an onerous, it's not a sort of judgmental sort of fear, but one that can actually be found, the light can be found in. Michael Reeves, a New Testament scholar, has talked this way about fear. He says, right fear of God is a way of speaking about the sheer intensity of a saint's happiness in God the sheer intensity of happiness in God. And we see that here where this blessed joy, this, this happiness is found in the fear of the Lord, of seeing who God is. And as we do that, as we fear God, as we see who He is, we, we walk in His way, as the last part of verse 1 calls us to. Walk in His ways, delighting in who He is, doing the things that He has called us to do. It's, a, it's, it's as simple as that to begin this, this passage. That what does God call us to, to move towards blessedness and joy? Well, to fear Him, to know who He is, to know who we are, and to follow Him. It's the prescription for joy in, in Scripture. Now, many of us may, may kind of know that, but we get off track, we get lost, so to speak. Now, I had this experience recently, I was walking somewhere, and I don't know if you've noticed people now, they'll, they'll play something on their phone while they're walking, like an exercise walk, and, and you're, you know, 200 yards away, and you're listening right along with whatever they're, they're listening. And so I had this experience, and this individual was walking and listening to a sermon, now, this is an occupational hazard. I started listening. I was like, oh, I know who she's listening to. And it, it was sort of one of the generic, not going to name any names, but a generic uh, health, wealth, prosperity type gospel person. And it, it took a lot in me not to sort of have a conversation with this individual. Um, but, but it just sort of shows us how sometimes we're, we're on this path of life, right? We're, we're doing what we're doing. We're doing the things, our job, our families, those sorts of things. And, and there are voices that we're quite literally listening to. And the, the question for us when we come to a passage like this is what are we actually listening to? What is our definition of the blessed life or the, the happy life? As we think about where we spend our time, our resources, our, our energy, how do we understand what it means to fear God, 
first and foremost in our lives. Some of us need to maybe reframe what we're uh, afraid of. Now, I think a lot of us walk around with sort of a a low-grade fear every day. We're afraid that maybe we invested our money in the wrong things. We're afraid that maybe we ate the wrong thing for breakfast and it's going to throw off our diet. We're afraid of what that person thinks because we said this. We walk around with a, a sense of, of, of fear that we're parenting the wrong way, that we're doing this wrong and that wrong. And, and those fears can sort of become primary in our life and the fear of God sort of becomes secondary, a third issue. But here in this passage, it calls us to sort of reframe that, put at the top the, the fear of God that is the beginning of wisdom. That's where we see this path of blessing, this path of, of life. And, and really, this, this path, first and foremost, moves us, when the fear of God moves us to see that we are sinners in needs of God's mercy. That's where it begins. It's beginning of wisdom because it's the beginning of realizing that we are unholy people and God is a holy God. And he is the one who has given us the paths of, of righteousness, the ways to, to walk in. This passage also calls us to remind ourselves how we are defining happiness. How have you actually defined happiness? If you look at any sort of you know, self-help advice, oftentimes they, they say it's not in our money, but then they say this, but you need a certain sort of dollar number at which then you can be, be content and happy. And I know there are studies that have shown some of the, the validity of, of reaching certain sort of socioeconomic places, and, and it removes some of the, the stressors in our lives. But, but here in this passage, right at the core of it, is not in any thing or any accomplishment, but in, in the fear of the Lord. That's where the joy begins. That's where happiness, that's where blessing begins. Not, it's the source is from God himself, not from any of the things that he may bless us with. We need to reframe the good life as not consisting just of ease, of honor, and wealth. John Calvin said this, Although we all collect together all the circumstances which seem to contribute to a happy life, surely nothing will be found more desirable than to be kept hidden under the guardianship of God. I think that's what a lot of us do. We, we collect together all the sort of trappings of a happy life. And we say, okay, I've got all the stuff. I've got all the sort of relationships. I've got all the degrees. I've got everything that I think is going to make me who I should be, a happy person. We've collected it all together. And yet, this psalm is so important as we are on our way, on our pilgrimage, to remind us that where does blessing come from? Fearing God and walking in His, his ways. It's extraneous to all that stuff that we sort of pull in. And so this psalm moves us to a simple fear, a simple obedience towards God and say, this is where our joy comes from. Asks us to reclaim that. Now, if you jump down to verse 4, it says this, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The blessing begins in the fear of the Lord, but then in verse 4 sort of brackets off verses 2 and 3 and says, Thus shall you be blessed. It describes the blessing in verse 2 and 3. Now, the context here is most of these individuals walking up to Jerusalem are living in a fairly agrarian-type context. Their food comes from what they plant, what they grow. I'm sure there would be some tradesmen, some others mixed in the group, but they're very dependent on sort of the local household economy. That's what it means to sort of have flourishing is when the household is, is doing well. And so we're taken into this um, picture here. 
in verses 2 and 3. And really what the psalmist is doing is he's going back to Genesis and looking how, how things began, where man was given good work, and there was a family that was started, and there were children that were to come, all of this, and he is going back to that and pointing us to these seemingly simple things as the place of, of blessing. And the order here is important. We're going to see him be blessed. Now, he doesn't sort of make sure that he has a lot of fruit from his land. He doesn't make sure that he has good children and a good wife. He doesn't sort of do those things and then receive the blessing. No, he fears God, and then he receives these, these blessings of first meaningful work. Look at verse 2. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Now, I don't know if any of you have, I know we have some gardeners, right? And there's something good about eating literally the, the fruit of your, your hands, what you planted, then you eat. And it's, it's taking us to that image. Now, many of us are disconnected from that, right? There are numerous sort of parties in between us and our, our food that we consume. And yet what this passage is still saying to us in this context is that it is God who blesses our labor. And there's something good about simple work. Not sort of simple work as not using your mind or anything like that, but just doing what God has called you to do, to do that well. Whatever that career is, if you're working with computers, if you're working with planes, if you're working with kids, whatever it might be, there's something good about that. And as we fear God, what normally happens is this path of being blessed. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity connection, but wisdom literature and scripture gives us the best way to live. It says this is the way to flourish. Now, will this always work? No, we have Job. We have Ecclesiastes to remind us that sometimes even when we do the right things in a broken, fallen, sinful world, things go a little haywire. But here, this psalmist is reminding us this is what is true and right, and this is where we should direct our energies to live this kind of life, fearing God and finding joy even in the work of our hands, eating the fruit of our labor. It's, there's a contrast here between verse 2 of 128 and verse 2 of 127, where it says, It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's vain to go and work unless God is the one who is sustaining that work as we fear, fear God. This description of blessing continues in verse 3 of 128, where it talks about your wife who will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Now, the context here, remember verse 1, blessed is everyone, and then the psalm sort of takes a an example of what this looks like, and he takes a man and looks through the man, his wife, and his, his children. And so his wife here is one who is uh, given with a host of benefits to God, from God to the man. She is a place of companionship, of trust, of love, of fruitfulness, of, of wisdom even for, for advice. And on all of these wonderful pictures we see of Scripture of, of a God-fearing home, to use that language. As they follow what is true, there is, there is good things. The children around the table are like olive shoots. I don't know if you want to call your kids that if you're having lunch with them this afternoon, your little olive shoots. But it's a, it's a picture of olive shoots that need to be tended. They need to be developed and, 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 and nurtured and flourished, are caused to flourish as they, they grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, as they know what it's like to fear the Lord. That's the picture that we see here, little olive shoots to be grown. Olives were, were valuable. They were fragrant. They were good and life-giving. And so that's the picture here that we see of of gathered around a table. 
um, eating a meal together. Sort of in, in the very inner part of the home is the language here. And that's, that's a picture of, of, of what is right and good, these simple things. Simple things like eating a meal together as a family is a description of what it means to be joyful and happy as we wait for the fullness of what Christ will do. And we need to have that sort of internalized in our, in our hearts to know that that is a depiction of, of the good life. Now, what do, we, what do we do with this? Now, it's easy to read a passage like this and realize that there is any number of uh, sort of cultural pressures that would sort of seek to redefine what the good life is, right? This is fairly countercultural to say, how do you be happy? Well, you, you have a job and you, you have a family and you have kids, and you just sort of live that, that way. Now, we'll talk in a moment that this is not saying that if you're not doing this, you can't be happy and, and God isn't blessing your life. That's, that's not what this passage is saying. But it is reminding us, as we live in a culture that would seek to redefine so many of these things, from marriage to what a family is to what genders are, that this here is what is good, right, and true. That this is where blessedness and happiness comes from. That obedience, simply put, is, is best. Obedience to God, fear of God, is what is right and good and best for us. And we get this beautiful picture of this relationship, these relationships coming about. Now, question as we look at this. What if you are reading this passage, you are fearing God, you are seeking to walk His ways, and you are childless and familyless? How does, how does that work? Sometimes the church has taken a passage like this and say, well, then God is, is disciplining your life. That's not a, that's not a fair take on this, this passage. One, one counterpoint that we'll spend just a moment on comes from the book of Acts. Now, book of Acts, chapter 8, we see this uh, Ethiopian who is, who is a eunuch who can't have children, and so he's, he's going along in a chariot, and so he is not going to have a wife. He's not going to have kids. That's sort of his, his future. And what is he reading as he goes in this chariot? where he's reading the book of Isaiah, and he's confused. If you remember this story, he's reading along, and he doesn't know quite what's happening. He's reading in about Isaiah 53, and he's reading about a, the silence of the one who comes to be a sacrifice, and, and he's confused. And so Philip is sent to go and share the gospel with him. And Philip comes and explains the things of what he's reading and how it points to Jesus, and what happens? Well, this Ethiopian eunuch believes and is baptized. And it's this beautiful conversion story. One thing that relates to this, though, in terms of uh, situations in life that don't fit sort of what this psalm is describing comes just a little bit lower. And so if we, if we read through Acts 8, it seems that this individual is reading lots of Isaiah, not just the verses in question. And so just a little bit lower in his scroll, quite literally, comes these words of hope and encouragement in Isaiah 56, verse 4 and 7. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. It's a picture of God's blessing, and, and I know the eunuch example is a little bit odd, and it doesn't really fit in anything in our culture, but it's a picture of God bringing blessing to people as they fear Him. That's what we see in this, this psalm, and yes, there is a normative way that this psalm reveals, but, but God's blessing extends to all of His people, everyone, as verse 1 says, as they follow God and they bring their lives to walk in His ways. And so there's hope and there's encouragement here for all of us. 
as we read this, this psalm. And as we, as we look even at these benefits, we, we, we may end up in a spot where we sometimes say, okay, I've got to fear God, and then I'm going to get this, this stuff, and I really just kind of want that stuff. And we focus in on that. And, and, and I think that, that shows up in our lives when we look at our lives and say, okay, I'm not happy. Why am I not happy? Well, we start doing this. Well, my kids, they're, they're just terrible. They misbehave all the time. If, I get, if my kids were better kids, then I'd be a little bit more happy. Or we say, if I had a, just a, a better spouse. My spouse, I, I've been married for 25, 30 years. Uh, I'm, I'm done. This person is not the right person for me anymore. And, and if I had a different spouse who was a little bit less grumpy, a little bit less, you know, just a pain to be around, then I could be a little bit more happy. It's not the picture that we see here, is it? The joy is found in those things, and we find them in those things as we first pursue Christ, the fear of the Lord, following what God would have us do, seeing the very sort of communion of fear of God, knowing who God is, knowing that he's brought us into relationship with him through Jesus, and as we experience that and then see what he has given us as blessings, that's what begins to move us to this place of joy, this place of, of happiness. And so as 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, we are to make it our ambition to lead a quiet life. Sort of the New Testament equivalent of Psalm 128, to make it our ambition to live a quiet life. The word ambition is, is intentional. It's not sort of a, well, just sort of, you really, you know, try really hard, and, and if you have to settle for a quiet life where you just sort of live with your kids, your family, and do your work, then, then that's okay. No, make it your ambition to do that, that there's something good in the things that God has given you. If you gather around a table with your family this afternoon for lunch, that is a blessing from God. Even with all the difficult relationships, even with all the things that need to be sorted out this side of eternity, there is a blessedness in what God is providing for us there. Well, where does all this blessing lead? Look at verses 5 and 6. This is blessing spreading. The people on this pilgrimage to Zion, to Jerusalem, are nearing the end of their journey. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. They have arrived. Where does the blessing come from? It comes from Zion. That is sort of a picture of coming from God himself, who is most present in the Old Testament in this this, this Zion that, that is his city on earth. And so he blesses from there, and so his people come towards there, and they want to see the prosperity of Jerusalem. It moves sort of from the individual just life to seeing all of us together experiencing God's rich benefits as these people would gather for, for worship. That's what they're coming to do, and so as they come all the days of their life to this place, they see the prosperity of it, not sort of a prosperity of wealth being transferred around, but of coming together and and worshiping what is true, worshiping the one who has called them. And so for for us, as we we look at this, and and we haven't completed our journey, right? We're still waiting for the new heavens and the new earth. There is some help for the way, even in this this passage here. It's talking about the saints gathered together and, and worshiping, gathered together and finding joy in even what we do this this morning. Puritans used to call Sunday the, the market day of the soul. The market day of the soul. What do they mean by that? 
Well, it meant your soul needed some tending. It was a day to kind of bring your soul and, and get it encouraged to have it conformed again to what is true and to see the wonder and hope of what is true and what is accomplished through Jesus. That's what this passage is, is alluding here as we see this, as we come collectively. May you all together, gathered, see the prosperity of Jerusalem, to see what is true, to see that this, what God offers, is, is best for us. Find to rest, find rest and, and flourishing even as we wait. Um, I don't know if you've attended a family reunion recently. Anybody have any family reunions this year that they were maybe postponed because of COVID? Um, my mom's side of the family has a large family reunion every five years. I haven't been in probably 20 years, but growing up, we'd go to this reunion every year, and it was big. We're talking like over 200 people big. And, and as a kid, you're like, yeah, I'm related to everybody here. I don't really know any of you. And we had fun for a few days. And, and if you've been to a family reunion, you know there's this sort of, at least in my experience, at the end of reunion, there are two emotions, right? There's a little bit of sadness, right, that you're not going to see those people again, right? And then there's the relief that you're done and you can kind of go and be on your, on your way for, for the next five years. Um, but but here in this passage, how do, how do we, I bring that up because that's sort of the, the experience I think we have. We see some of the beauty and some of the truth here. We say, yeah, I know sometimes my family is a really profound blessing. And we also know sometimes my job is, is really hard, and I don't like it, and I don't find much, much joy in it. And so we are kind of caught in the middle of that post-family reunion joy and anticipation for what is is to come and that relief because things are not the way they are to be. But how does this psalm end? Verse 6 says this, May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. That peace is that word shalom for flourishing, for everything brought together, everything as it, as it should be. It looks forward to that. Even as we, we catch a glimpse of it now, we catch some of that peace, some of that joy right here and right now, even as these people who had arrived in Jerusalem saw the peace as they came and they gathered and they worshiped and rejoiced in that, the rest of Scripture as it talks about verses like this always points our eyes a little bit further. It always points our eyes a little bit further to the new heavens and the new earth. Let me read Hebrews 12, verse 22 and following to you. It says this, But you, this is speaking of us as the church, have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Where are we going? Where are we directed to? It's that new heavens, that new heavenly Jerusalem that Revelation talks about so beautifully. That is where our, our true joy and happiness rests. That is where we find shalom. That is where we find peace in the Prince of Peace, in Jesus. And, and so even now, that is how we begin to live and remind ourselves, even as there are so many other pressures that would move us elsewhere. A number of years ago, there were a group of tourists in uh, Australia, and this made international news what they ended up doing. They were following their GPS in their rental car, and they were hoping to visit an island off of the coast. And so they got in their car, and they started driving, and the GPS had them driving across the water. And so what did they do? Now, they, now before we get into that, think, think about how you follow your GPS. There, there are times where you're like, yeah, I don't know, but I'm going to trust it because it's right, right? It always gets me there even when it's, I don't know where I am, 
That's what these people did. And so they drove down onto the beach, and they drove a ways, and they got totally stranded. In, this made international news. In the waters, there's six feet of water. They got rescued. Everything was okay. But they, they were so programmed into following their GPS unit that they didn't actually look around them to ascertain where they were. Now, that's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. And yet, I think you and I sometimes do that. We, we, we see the ways of God. We know that this is right. And yet, there are so many other things that we're so used to trusting, whether it is the advice of, of friends who, it's just not good advice, whether it's the advice of how we spend our time or whatever it might be, all sort of the, the voices around us, and we're so used to listening to them that we end up off the coast of Australia in a couple feet of mud. We're called to follow this, where we find peace, where we find final rest. And, and, and this might make sense right now, and you say, yes, I agree with that. And then when we start our rhythms on Monday, it feels a little bit different, doesn't it? It's a little harder to remind ourselves that actually it's the fear of God that will lead to blessing and happiness and joy. Because of what Christ has done, because of what he has accomplished, because I am a sinner saved by grace, because God has taught me the way to live, I actually can say no to all of those other things that would demand my attention and my affections. Happiness, blessing, is found in the fear of the Lord and walking in his ways. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, says this, that right now we are drinking from the sort of lower levels of God's joy, and we find them intoxicating, even the things described here. And yet, he reminds us that one day we will drink joy from the fountain of joy. That's what this passage is pointing us to. Joy now, because God is good, and as we follow his ways, he blesses us with the things that are delights to our hearts because they are from God. But it also points us to the final peace, the final joy, where we will be with him, where we are compelled to that heavenly city, that new Jerusalem, where our joy will be complete because we will be with our Savior. That animates us, that points us, that helps us say no to the things that would pull us away from the way of the Lord. But as we grow in the fear of the Lord, we experience more and more the delight of communion with Him and the blessings of His hand. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I know even as we look at this passage, there may be some in this room whose lives don't seem to match this right now. Lord, they have experienced real hardship, real difficulty, Lord, I pray that you would show them, even this morning, your compassion and your grace and your mercy. Um, show them that communion with you, experiencing the wonder of what it is to fear the Lord, is what brings final joy. And would you remind all of us this morning to not look to so many of the other things that seem attractive, but would look solely to your word, to your truth, and your gospel, as a place of joy and happiness. We ask this in your name. Amen.